We're in our Bible Institute, and most of you know we have a Bible Institute. Uh, 830 students in there right now from all over the world. 117, 18 courses, I think, at this point in time. Um, and you can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree if you'd like. It's all free, uh, so you can get involved at whatever level you want. We are working through a course right now, Old Testament. Uh, I called it, this is just Old Testament 1. We're going to go from Genesis through 1 Samuel in this one, and then we'll go from 2 Samuel on, and then we'll finish up. It'll be three separate courses. So if you want to, you can take them as part of the course requirements at our Bible Institute. Just register as a student, and there's a few extra things you've got to do, not much, uh, as we follow along. So I'd encourage you to do that. Also, you know, the weekend sermons, we do the same thing with weekend messages, and we just started a new course uh, then on uh, last Sunday. And uh, so that whole series on being the church will be a course as well. So you can take that as part of the course requirements if you'd like. They're available to you. And uh, so that's what's going on with that. We're working through the Old Testament. And like I said, a survey, we go pretty quick uh, through this process. This is the sixth lesson, and we're into the book of Joshua. So we've looked at Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy um, all very interesting books. Uh, I want to encourage you to you know, read through them when you get a chance because it's worth reading. There's a lot of very interesting stuff in there. Uh, and Joshua is certainly a fascinating book as well. There's a lot here in Joshua, so we'll push through as much as we can today. But uh, uh, at this point, you know, at the end of Deuteronomy, we, we read about Moses going on to be with the Lord. He wasn't going to be able to go into the promised land. Um, because of the whole thing that happened in, in Numbers when he hit the rock twice. Uh, but we looked at that last week. And if you weren't here, you can, you can go and watch that part of the, the message. It's on there. But now they're getting ready to, to get in. They've been numbered and they've been ordered and they've been you know, set up and tabernacles ready. Everything's ready. And so they're going to move in now to the promised land that uh, God had given them. The, the situation at hand, though, is that there's a lot of people there. <laughs> and... Uh, They've got to be dealt with. And I, they already had their battle plan from last week. You know, the, the cities that were far off where there wasn't this, this intense, evil, occultic Baal worship. Um, they had an opportunity at, at, to sort of make peace with Israel, you know, surrender and do those things they need to do. But here in the promised land, the, 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 the cities that are very close and very much involved in this Baal worship, they're, they're to be taken care of and wiped out. That seems harsh to a lot of people, and they struggle with that whole process, but you, you need to understand that it was there is evil now as they were at the time of the flood, and and so there's they're just not coming back from that apparently, and God knows that about these folks, and so they need to be dealt with, or what's going to happen is they're going to corrupt the people of God, and what happens is Israel doesn't completely deal with them, and sure enough, what God said would happen if they didn't do what they're supposed to do happens, and they're corrupted by the folks that are left, but. Uh, Israel has to go in to this, uh, into these battles, and they are, um, uh, you know, they've been wandering around the desert, and they didn't have a weapons of war when they left uh, Egypt, and so they don't have the machines of war. They don't have, you know, what everybody else has, and the way that battles were generally won, the way that they would be engaged in is that they would lay siege to a city. And by that I mean they would, they would surround a city. Um, most of the cities at that point in time were walled, and so the way that you, you beat a city was you surrounded it and you didn't let anything in or out. And they would um, eventually just starve. Uh, they'd be cut off from supplies and they couldn't survive. And they'd either surrender or you, they would eventually, you know, 
um, come out and try and fight or something, and they would be just quickly uh, decimated. So God's not going to do the way everybody else does. He's going to do different things. And um, it's very kind of interesting in the process, especially the, uh, the first battle that they're going to get into in, uh, in Jericho. So uh, we move through Joshua and Joshua chapter 2. Once again, spies are sent into the land. Uh, they're, they're sent into Jericho in particular. And um, they, they go to Rahab's house, which is fascinating because it's a house of prostitution. Um, but that's where they figure they're going to find out everything that's going on. So that's where they go. So they can find out everything that's happening in that city. And uh, that's what they do. And then Rahab agrees to help the spies. And she is given the promise of protection. That's significant because Rahab plays a big part. I'll, I'll look at that in a little bit in the, in the, uh, the line, uh, the family line of, of Jesus. So that's what's happening in that situation. That happens in chapter 2 and chapter 3. You'll read that uh, they get up and they start getting ready to go and take over uh, Jericho. And, and um, oh, first they got to cross the river. Sorry, let me get you, let me get you over the Jordan. So in Joshua chapter three, um, they're, they're going to cross the Jordan finally. And so they need to get all these people, uh, uh, their their army in effect, and all across the Jordan in the process. And the Jordan is high at that time, and it can't. It's not easily uh, crossed. And so God's going to do a miracle here. And um, Joshua tells the Levites to step foot in the water. And when they do, the water is going to stop up on itself. And, and so it's a little different than the parting of the Red Sea. But what happens is when they step foot in the water, it, it, the water it, it says it piles up on itself at that point and goes backwards and it stops running. And the entire group is able to pass over where the Jordan should have been on dry ground again. So it's similar um, you're going to see some similarities here in that, that God is doing some of the same things with Joshua that he did with Moses so that people could see that Joshua is, in fact, the leader and that God is with them. And so this generation that's left didn't see the whole Red Seas parting and stuff. They heard the stories, but they haven't seen it. So, so God is infusing them as they get ready to go into the promised land with uh, the, the, the ability to trust him because they're seeing miracles that take place. And so they, um, that happens. They, they step into the water. The water steps up on itself, stops on itself. They're able to cross through on dry, dry land. Um, Joshua tells some uh, representative of each tribe when they get to the middle of the Jordan River, they're to find a big, a big stone that's there now uncovered, and they're to carry it across to the other side. And uh, they take 12 of these big stones out of the middle of the river, and they pile them up on the other side as a witness to the fact that God had done this for future generations so that people could be told the story Remember, it's an important story, what happens. Uh, these are the things that God was done because it, I hope you've seen already as you read through the Old Testament how quickly people sort of forget about miracles. And it's sort of like, what are you going to do for me now? Because it only usually takes a day or two. And, it, and so these things get wiped out of people's memory. Uh, and, you know, we, we have that same tendency. If we... If we don't sort of somehow record some of the amazing things that God is doing in our lives, we start to forget about it. Uh, and uh, just the answers to prayer that we've seen over the course of our lives, the, the things where God has intervened, there's, there's all these miraculous things that have happened. But if we don't have a way of sort of 
you know, if we don't write them down or uh, somehow remember them or make them something that we go back and think about, they sort of drift away and we get just like these folks, like, well, you know, what have you done for me lately? But uh, uh, this was happening again. And so uh, the, the Jordan parts uh, and dries up so that things get across. And there was actually lots of things that happened, but um, four of the main things that happened with that process is it provided a method of crossing for this big military operation that was coming up. And once again, provided a demonstration of God's power in the physical universe to this new generation of the people of Israel. It validated Joshua as the new leader of Israel. And um, it also caused the inhabitants of Canaan to be devastated psychologically. They hear about this and um, it, it, they, it overwhelms them. With, they, they, they live in fear and dread of what's coming. Uh, in the process. So they're, they're sort of giving up before things even start. And uh, again in Joshua 4, uh, it's where you start reading about these stones being piled up as a witness to the Lord and, and uh, it's to future generations of what's going to happen in the process. And uh, as I said, it impacted the uh, a psychological impact on the inhabitants in Joshua 5. 5 1 says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So it was significant what God did there and how amazing it is. And also in Joshua 5, um, we, we, um, Joshua sort of gets his own burning bush experience. It's different uh, than, than Moses, but it's, it has some similarities to it. So Joshua 5, 13 through 15. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So, um, these encounters in the Old Testament are generally referred to as theophanies. Theophany. And, and what they are is they're, they're a pre-incarnate um, picture of Jesus uh, before he, he came in the flesh. These, these theophanies are times when, when it's in effect Jesus making this appearance is how that's believed and what's happening. And so um, this takes place and it's a, it's a significant deal for Joshua just as the burning bush was a significant deal for Moses. And, and again, remember, um, I, I said this last week, but I, but I hope you caught it, that, that, that Moses... It rep- he, because he gave us the first five books of the Old Testament, he wrote them, which are referred to as the law. Moses is associated with the law. And, and one of the pictures that happened is since Moses can't bring the people of Israel in to the, to, because of his disobedience, but Joshua can. It's a sort of a picture, remember, that, that you can't get into the promised land by the law. The only way in is through Joshua. And Joshua is the same as Jesus. It's the same name. It means the same thing this great picture we have that, that Jesus is our way into the promised land it's not by following a bunch of rules it's not following the law it's following Jesus Joshua into the promised land and there's a significant difference 
in those things that we need to be aware of. So they have this great picture now of Joshua getting ready to take the folks over. And then in chapter 6, verses 2 through 5, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So in this first battle, God is demonstrating to the people of Israel that that, um, he doesn't need the fighting men of Israel to accomplish this victory. Um, that he, he's going to start off by just, he's going to take care of it. He, he's, and, and that is not the normal warfare that you march around with sort of a bunch of musicians and, uh, and everybody shouts at the end and the walls came in. The walls around Jericho were considered to be almost, you know, impenetrable. And yet they, they come down at, at trumpet blast and with a shout they go down. And the Lord, since, since the, the battle and the victory is the Lord's in this case, all of the spoils of this victory belong to him. Joshua 6, 17 through 19. The city and all that it is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring your um, own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So this is a this is how this happens in this first battle. Everything is to belong to the Lord. The, the because he's doing all the stuff, they're not to take the spoils from it. All of it's to be dedicated to the Lord. That's significant because they're not going to quite keep up with that. But they do keep up with their promise to Rahab, which is cool. Joshua six twenty two through twenty five. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, "Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her." So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lived among the she lives among the Israelites to this day. So um, Rahab plays a role, as I said, in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew one, five and six. Uh, it says Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Uh, and, and we know, tracing down that lineage, we get to Jesus. Um, but, but there's Rahab in the picture, and um, uh, she um, has, her son is Boaz. And you remember the, the story of Ruth we talked about here, that Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, and, and he's, a, he's a good guy, and he marries Ruth, uh, and, and together they have Jesse, and that starts off this... this uh, process of the genealogy so i think it's cool once again the people that are included in the genealogy um come from all sort of backgrounds and, and uh, god uses that again one of my favorite things that god uses 
our brokenness when we give it to Him and He redeems it in significant ways. So they've had this amazing victory. The walls came down to Jericho. They've seen God move on their behalf. All sorts of good things are happening. But then in uh, chapter 7, they get a little arrogant. Uh, and so, because that doesn't take long. Either we forget or we get, we get arrogant, kind of things that happen. Joshua 7, 3 and 5. When they returned to Joshua, they said, so they, he sends, Joshua sends some folks out to go and check out AI. It's the next place. They need to get, uh, not all the people will have to go up against AI. Send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not weary all the people for only a f- few men are there. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of AI who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So... Um, they have a couple issues here. A, they didn't ask God about what to do. That, do you know that's an issue? <laughs> uh, we're supposed to be asking God about things in our life. That's very important. And there was sin in the camp that was causing an issue as well. Joshua 7, 11, 12. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put with them with their own possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So, um, Achan, uh, he, he broke God's command and he took some of the plunder from Jericho. Uh, and, and that's revealed in pretty supernatural ways. You should go and read it. But in verse 20 of 7, It says, Achan replied, it's true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, in the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So, uh, he saw some stuff that he liked, and even though he was told not to, he took it. And uh, he got in trouble. But... That's pretty normal. First I, I, John 2.16 is a, it's a wonderful verse. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Um, these are the issues that get us in trouble. The, 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 you know, the, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Uh, they, they, they constantly cause us issues in our lives. And... Um, we need to be aware of those things. And, and that's how the enemy gets us. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's, those are his tricks. He's, and he's, if you think about it, those exactly what happens in the garden. Those are exactly what he tries to do against Jesus, but he doesn't work. It's consistent. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And, and uh, it's consistent. Um, what that does for us, though, is if we're aware of it, then we understand that's the enemy's tactics. And so we should be able to stand against it. And so, so we understand that's where he hits us. He hits us in our flesh. He hits us in the, in, in the way that we see things. And that pride thing gets us in big trouble. Anybody ever hear of trouble with pride? Yeah. And there's, a little, there's a little verse. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's how bad that pride thing is. God is actually, when you're, when you're standing in pride, you're, you're in direct opposition to God. Not a place where you want to be even a little bit. You, you want that other place. You, the grace from God is a good thing, and that comes to the humble. And so, um, 
But the enemy pokes us in those places. Just as he's so, and those are his tricks. Those are the big ones. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Be aware of them, and, and you're, you're less likely to fall right into them. In James chapter 1, 14 and 15, it says, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, he gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So, so it starts with, you know, those things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, it's there. And then if we move into it, that's sin, and, you know, the wages of sin is death. So we need to be very much aware of those things. And uh, we get how, how it can happen. It, those areas are tough today. You know, that, that lust of the eyes thing, um, that's why, the, you know, there's billions of dollars spent on advertising because they're, they're trying to get you to think that you have to have something in order to be satisfied. And so that works on, on that. And, and the, the lust of the, the flesh, you know, that's always, always you know, uh, those appetites that we have in so many ways, you know, pound us there. So we need to be aware of those things. Then um, we also start to hear in, um, in the book of Joshua about these these things and they were in numbers and exodus i didn't really cover them very well but people ask me so um there's things that you'll read about in the old testament called the urim and the thummim urim and thummim and these were uh things that the high priest would have worn over his heart in the um, the breastplate in the ephod and and somehow they were considered to help them sort of understand the will of god uh, and so you, you will see these things pop up in, in, uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, it pops up with Joshua and his, his high priest, Eleazar, uh, who has the Urim and Thummim uh, so that um, uh, Joshua can go and they can make sure that they're, they're moving in track with the Lord. Um, so the Bible talks about them, but doesn't give us a whole lot of understanding of what they are. Uh, and, and so we're not sure what's going on. So people try and, and sort of make them sound like all sorts of different things. But um, Urim means lights and Thuma means perfection. So there's some clues in that. Uh, they're not sure if, if they were like stones. Some people have even thought they were like stones that were inscribed with yes or no or true and false. And they would, they would reach into the, the breastplate and pull out and whatever they got was that was they considered the will of God in the process. Uh, but... Um, we, we see him pop up back with Aaron, uh, the brother of Moses, and uh, Joshua, uh, talking to Eleazar. They're there. Uh, after the Israelites are captive in Babylon, they're never mentioned again. And so we, we're not sure what's, uh, what happened to them. But in effect, though, they're, they're foreshadowing of Jesus as Messiah, who is called, uh, you know, he's the light of the world, and, and he was the perfect sacrifice. And so there, there are pictures of, of him coming once again. They said throughout the Old Testament, these pictures of Jesus. And, and uh, he will come and show us the way uh, of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so, so we understand that's all happening. And so all those things are going on in there. In chapter 8, um, Ai is finally defeated. They go back this time with God's blessing and have dealt with the sin in the camp. Um, 827, but Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. Since they went up and did the battle, they were allowed the, to share in the process and they got to keep some of the plunder. Again, though, every time that they seem to do well, 
they, they get a little arrogant and forget that they're supposed to be checking things with God. We get into chapter 9, and uh, some people from Gibeon come, and they trick Joshua into making a treaty with them. Uh, it's pretty interesting, Joshua 9, 3 through 6. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and, and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All of the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua in the camp uh, at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. So these guys are in the bad zone of getting taken out. And they come up with a ruse to be like from a distant place. So they get old clothes and they get old food. And they run up and they go to Joshua and say, Make a treaty with us. We're from a long way off. Because they were next on the list. And where Joshua and Israel get in trouble again is they, they don't check with God on what they're supposed to do. So they just look at what they see in the natural. And, and uh, they kind of get a sample of their food and everything. And they go, okay, they, they obviously from a long way off. Let's make a treaty with them so that they can live. And, and uh, that act of disobedience causes Israel problems for the next 400 years. There's some immediate problems because actually they have to stop doing what they're doing and overtaking the promised land and they have to go and defend Gibeon from another person because they, that they've made a treaty with them that you know, obligates them to it and they've got to stick to it. And um, throughout history, um, the, the Gibeonites uh, caused problems to Israel because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And it's another picture of that. So in Joshua 10, they have to go and rescue the Gibeonites and... Uh, that's, uh, the, the battle took so long that some, the sun stood still and the moon stopped uh, in the process. Uh, Joshua 10, 12 through 14. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. And so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemy as it's written in the book of Jashar. And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There had never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man, and surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. So pretty significant deal. That, uh, but God's, God's pretty significant. He can, he can stop it when he needs to. So he does. And then um, they, they start moving and marching further and further. Uh, in, by the chapter 12, there's this recount of all the victories they have, and they've, uh, they've had victories over 31 kings by that point in time. Um, we're at approximately now 1400 B.C. Uh, in Joshua 14. Uh, in the process, uh, uh, Joshua's about 85 years old. He tells us at that juncture in Joshua 14, even says he's 85 years old. Um, Joshua 22, the land is distributed. To the tribes of Israel, the tribes of Gad and uh, Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh go back to the other side of the Jordan. Remember, they'd seen land there that they wanted, and they'd asked God if they could have it. Uh, they asked Moses, and, and um, they were uh, concerned that they wouldn't come in and fight the battle that, uh, that, that was going on. And they promised they would send all of their fighting men in to go and be a part of this battle. And they've done that. They fulfilled their promise. So now they're given that land um, back on the other side of the Jordan. Two and a half tribes. They have a little issue, though, because when they go back over the river, uh, they build their own sort of monument out of stones. And all of the people of Israel think now they're worshiping a false god. So they actually bring all the army back over, and they're going to go and deal with these, what they think now are rebellious tribes. 
But they say to them, no, 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 we just don't want our people to forget what God has done and that we're part of you, even though we're on this side of the river. We're still a part of Israel. And so they, they resolved that, which was a good thing because it wasn't looking good for a while. Pretty fascinating in the process. And uh, so that altar that they made wasn't to be worshipped, but it served as a witness through that. And there you go with that. Joshua 23, 6. Um, Joshua reminds the people of, his, of their purpose. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the name of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routs a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with uh, the survivors of those nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So they were told not to uh, associate with them in any way, and they do. And so they, it causes big problems. And... Uh, uh, Joshua 24:14. he tells them again not to worship false gods. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then Joshua dies at the age of 110 years old. And uh, there we go. We'll be in the book of Judges next. So very fascinating uh, sort of story. But that's kind of what happened. They're in the promised land. They didn't finish their circles, but they're in. And those unfinished circles are going to get them uh, in the process. But there you go. All right. That's enough for today. If you're watching online, thanks for watching. And uh, if you're uh, around, come and see us when you can. Love to see you here. Uh, Bye. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.